You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We are in a sermon series on Genesis, and we are going through the stories. We've done uh, one, two, three, four... Uh, five. Now we're moving into six through ten. I keep telling you we're not going to be doing whole chapters and then I'm giving you like half a book. Uh, We are taking questions and answers if I pose a question. So feel free to send it. This is a dialogue instead of a monologue. I'd love to hear from you. Um, That's the number if you want to text. It'll be on the bottom of each screen. But I just want to give you an update to where we are now because uh, we need to set the stage to get what we're going to get out of this story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was good. And God created us humans in God's image and likeness. And we were equal in worth and work to one another. First, Adam and Eve. Yeah? The first. But then they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And plunged humanity into a curse, which we'll talk about in just a minute. They had three sons. Cain, Abel, poor Abel, and Seth. Again, I love how it's like, not a very usual name. I know people named Abel. I know a ton of people named Seth. Uh, Cain, Abel, Seth. Cain, we, we learned in the middle of the sermon, it means produced. Because Eve says, I have produced a man with the Lord's help. She had hoped that he would redeem them from the curse, but he did not. He killed his brother Abel, which means hevel, which means vapor, smoke, uh, nothingness. And then they had a third child, Seth, who was uh, uh, made in the spitting image of Adam, which means he's the blessed one. He will be carrying on the lineage. Then we learned the tale of two Lamechs. Cain has a Lamech down his genealogy. The genealogies are often boring, but this one is, uh, we need to read it. And what did Lamech do in Cain's line? He sang a song to his wives, Ada and Zillah. And he said, listen to my voice, pay attention to my words. I killed a man for wounding me. I killed a boy for striking me. Uh, God's promise to Cain was that if anyone hurt him, they would be paid back seven times. And he says, if Cain's going to get seven times, Anybody who hurts me is going to get 77 times. Cain's lineage multiplies violence on the earth and evil and the curse. That's what the story is trying to teach us. But Seth also has a Lamech in his line. And this Lamech says, why did it disappear? And come back. Seth's Lamech says this. Lamech became the father of a son and named him Noah saying this one will give us relief or rest. That's what Noah's name means, relief or rest. From our hard work, from the pain in our hands, because of the fertile land that the Lord has cursed. Adam and Eve plunged humanity into a curse. Even though we were supposed to be these divine royal beings that co-ruled with God, we were equal in worth and work, curse. Eve thinks Cain is going to redeem them from the curse. Cain does not redeem them from the curse. He plunges humanity into a multiplication of violence. But Seth has a Lamech who thinks his son Noah is going to redeem them from the curse. What does the curse do? There's a spiritual separation from God. This way is broken. 
there's a separation and domination of each other this way. If you remember Genesis chapter 3, the, the woman and the man desired to rule over one another. There's inequality between us this way now. There's separation from creation or harder labor with babies and dirt, right? That's what God says. Having babies is going to be harder. Working the dirt is going to be harder. I think I'd take the dirt out of all that, you know? It's like if I got... <laughs> Especially in those days, they just have babies every year, one a year. It was like, I take the dirt. <laughs> but this is the curse. Separation, separation, separation. But Seth's Lamech, the lineage of Seth down to Lamech, thinks that he has a son who's going to redeem them. And this is what I really want you to know about the story of Noah. We know the story of Noah. There's a boat. Some animals come. There's a flood. Everyone gets wiped out, which is a hard story for us to understand. But the stage is being set that God and Lamech and Seth and Adam and Eve's lineage, they're trying to redeem this creation. They're trying to set it up for you and me so that we can go back to the goodness that God had for us in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. So it's not just about starting over. It's starting over with the curse gone, with us back in relationship with God and relationship with one another. There's a lot of hope on this man, Noah, that he would provide us rest and relief from the curse that has been plunged upon us by our parents, Adam and Eve. Let's do Noah and the ark. I'm going to focus on the beginning. What do we know so far? Uh, Noah was going to be the savior, a type of savior, the one who redeems humanity and the land. That's the hope of Noah. But here's the problem. The Lord saw, this is Genesis 6. The Lord saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil on the earth and that every idea is actually of their hearts, not of their minds. But I'll read the passage. Every idea of their minds thought up was always completely evil. I mean, you see the problem. Humanity is thoroughly wicked. Every inclination of their heart and every thought of their mind is completely evil. And the Lord regretted making human beings on the earth. And God was heartbroken. That's the setting we're in. That God looked upon his creation when he made it and it was good, 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 good. And created humanity and we were incomparable to everything else. We were made in God's image and likeness and it was very good. And now it is not good. It is bad. And God's heartbroken about it. And so the Lord said, I'm going to wipe everybody off the entire face of the earth and restart. This can't really be redeemed. We got to start over. But there was one who the Lord approved of. And it describes Noah this way, that he was blameless and righteous and he walked with God. There was one whom God found start over with a savior of type yeah and so what does God do I just said we know the story God says Noah build a boat it's going to be huge it's going to be 300 cubits I don't know how much a cubit is but it sounds huge and he says I'm going to bring you all these animals a pair of every kind but if you really want to get into like a bible off of somebody who thinks they know a lot about the bible it's actually more than that 
Genesis 7 then immediately goes on to say, after God says in chapter 6, verse 20, I'm going to bring you a pair of every kind. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark with your household because among this generation I've seen that you are a moral man. From every clean animal, take seven pairs. So it wasn't just a pair of every kind. It was seven pairs of every clean kind of animal. Clean in the Old Testament was a type of animal that they could eat. Yeah? There's a bunch of rules to it. I don't have time to go into it. But a lot of animals, there were seven pairs. So we always think in our mind, you got these animals come in and just pairs, but there's a ton of animals. Yeah? And a pair from every unclean. So if you want to get into a Bible argument with somebody, you'd be like, it's, it's actually seven pairs. Genesis 7 says seven pairs. That's easy to remember. Seven, seven, we got it. So God brings the animals. God puts the family in the ark, and it actually says God's the one who closes the door, and it begins to rain for 40 days, but also water bursts forth from beneath, and there's a flood, and they're on the boat for over a year. It wasn't just 40 days and 40 nights. That's just the amount of rain. They're on the boat for over a year, and then they could start seeing some mountaintops, right? And he sends out a raven, Noah, and the raven, I don't know, doesn't come back? Is that what it is? ravens then he sends out a dove the second time and the dove comes back with a an olive branch which has the significance of of peace right in our culture but the dove came back and then finally he let the dove go uh, uh, he let a bird go it was a dove again the third time and the dove doesn't come back and so he realizes that things are heading in a good direction and then ultimately they get out of the boat and the first thing that Noah does is he makes an altar to sacrifice some of these clean animals. That's why they're on the board. <laughs> they got a one-way ticket to slaughter town. Um, <laughs> they get put on the altar, and, and Noah worships God. Well, the first thing he does when he gets off the boat. And God makes a covenant, just like he did with Adam and Eve. And they're very similar covenants, that you would be fruitful and multiply. that uh, God says, I'll never flood the earth ever again. And as a sign of that, I'll put a rainbow in the sky. We know that part of the story. God doesn't just make a covenant with humanity. He also makes it with animals and says, I'll never do this again to you. God says, I won't curse the ground anymore because of humanity's actions. It's this wonderful covenant. It spans a couple chapters. But I want to finally, I want to conclude with what happens at the very end. So we got this Noah, he's supposed to be the savior of the world. He gets off the boat. Everything's going great. God has a clean start. That wicked humanity is gone. He promises to never do it again. But Noah makes some big mistakes. And here's the passage. Noah has three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. They come out of the ark. Noah, uh, now Ham was Canaan's father. Canaan is Israel's, like one of their greatest enemies. And so the passage really wants you to know that Ham, not a good guy, and his kid's not a good guy. These were Noah's three sons. From them, the whole earth was populated, based on the logic of the story. Noah, a farmer, made a new start, planted a vineyard. He drank some of the wine and became drunk. You, get th you don't even get a whole sentence. It is three clauses. The man has planted a vineyard and, and is drunk. He took off his clothes in his tent. Ham, Canaan's father, the bad guy, saw his father naked and told his two brothers who were outside. Shem and Japheth took, off, took a robe and threw it over their shoulders and walked in backward and covered the nakedness of their father 
uh, yeah, when Noah woke up from his wine, he discovered what his youngest son had done, and then he sings a song, a blessing, and a curse, just like Lamech, right? Cursed be Canaan, that's Ham's lineage, the lowest servant he will be for his brothers. He also said, bless the Lord for the God of Shem, Canaan will be Shem's servant. May God give space to Japheth. Shem is going to live in Japheth's tents, and Canaan, Canaan will be his servant. That's it. That's the end of the Noah story. Questions? I love that. Yes, yes, yes. Like Adam, there's so many similarities between Adam and Noah, and so I just want to point those out. Like Adam, Noah has three sons. Remember Adam, Cain, Abel, Seth. Remember Noah, Shem, Japheth, and, and, and Ham. And Noah has three sons. Noah is to populate the earth again. From these three sons, the whole earth is populated, the text tells us. Noah is a farmer, just like Adam. See, the, see what the, the text is doing? I'm trying to show you. Noah is supposed to be the new Adam, to provide rest and relief, a savior. He eats and drinks the fruit. Remember Adam and Eve? They ate the fruit. was not good. Things fell apart immediately. What does Noah do? He plants a vineyard. He eats the fruit. The, the, the thing falls apart when they eat of this fruit. Is the Bible trying to tell us to stop eating fruit? Probably. No, just kidding. <laughs> but there's a, a fruit-eating situation that leads to nakedness and shame. Remember Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge fruit good and evil and they became naked or they became aware of their nakedness and they experienced shame and they were afraid. Noah eats of the fruit and he becomes drunk and he gets naked in his tent and there's a shameful issue that happens. We don't really know. All we can do is guess about what happens, but it's not good. And then a curse is spoken. After Adam and Eve eat the fruit, God comes and curses the ground and curses the snake, and there's consequences for humanity. And after this nakedness and shame episode in Noah, a curse is spoken onto his sons, and all of humanity is cursed into inequality. Genesis 3, God says to the woman that the woman and the man will desire to rule over one another. And Noah plunges his sons into a curse, saying that Ham and his descendants will be the lowest of slaves for the other two sons. And all of humanity is populated from these three men. And God has, I mean, God, Noah has spoken a, a curse of inequality over all of humanity. This one who was supposed to provide us relief has been the one who has doomed all of humanity. A curse. Head, heart, hands, you know how I preach. Something for us to know, feel, do. And what do I think that God wants us to know? The good news. Our gracious God always provides a way. I know that's hard for us to see sometimes in the story of Noah because all of creation is wiped out. But he finds Noah even when things are absolutely evil and wicked and everything is falling apart, there's always a way. God does not give up on us. And I think that's a huge takeaway from this story. From the ark to the covenant promise that he gives Noah, God is for us, even when things are extremely hard. I love this movie. If you don't know it, it is Evan Almighty. It is a modern day telling of the story of Noah. 
And this is my favorite scene. It's when the God character, Morgan Freeman, is talking to the wife of Noah, the modern-day Noah. In the beginning of the movie, she prayed that her family would get closer. And this is the speech for that. Yeah? Oh, excuse me, can I get a refill, please? Coming right up. Excuse me, are you, are you all right? Yeah. No. It's a long story. Well, I like stories. I'm considered a bit of a storyteller myself. My husband? Have you heard of New York's Noah? <laughs> the guy who's building the ark. That's him. I love that story. Noah and the ark. You know, a lot of people miss the point of that story. They think it's about God's wrath and anger. They love it when God gets angry. What is the story about then, the ark? Well, I think it's a love story about believing in each other. You know, the animals showed up in pairs. They stood by each other, side by side, just like Noah and his family. Everybody entered the ark side by side. But my husband says God told him to do it. What do you do with that? Sounds like an opportunity. Let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, you think God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If they prayed for courage, does God give them courage? Or does he give them opportunities to be courageous? If someone prayed for the family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings? Or does he give them opportunities to love each other? I do not think that story is a love story about standing side by side. I think he's totally wrong about that. But I do love the idea. <laughs> I mean, he's Morgan Freeman. I'll let him have it. I think it's a midrash. I think it's a, a way to read the story that's not inherent in the text. But I get it. You can have it. Remember, there were seven pairs. Um, uh, but I do think that it is about, he says, God providing opportunity, that God provides for us. Noah's story is about God not giving up on us, but providing a way out, always being on our side, always trying to find a way to redeem the situation, even in the middle of heartbrokenness, God's own heartbrokenness and frustration. So that's what I think that is about. That's what I think God wants us to know, is that God does provide for us, always provides a way, always provides a way out. What does God want us to feel or experience in our hearts? All that brokenness in the world is in you. You need a Savior too. And I say that because Noah is set up to be the Savior of this situation, and he plunges all of humanity back into a curse. He is righteous and blameless and walks before the Lord, and in a moment of shame, vulnerability, anger. He dooms all of humanity. I think one of the takeaways from this story is that all, uh, the, all of that brokenness, that curse, that, that evil that God says that every inclination of every human heart was, was totally bent on evil, I think all of that is within us and we need a Savior, a real Savior. 
Noah was as close to perfect as there is. That's the passage. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and he walked with God. And he single-handedly plunged humanity back into disunity, discord, and disconnection. You think you can save yourself or all of humanity? I, lo- I, I said this a year ago. You can't even scratch your own back. You know what I mean? I can't even wash the center part of my back. I'm going to try to save anyone, including myself. You know what I mean? I can't touch my fingers. We have this in us, and we need something done about it. This is, I practiced this 15 times yesterday. This is Alexander Solchenitsyn. Hey, that sounds like a Russian name, huh? Alexander Solchenitsyn. Big in the 60s and 70s. Essentially what happened was he led a Russian army during World World War II. He was a young man, but he uh, had some leadership abilities, and he was leading some men in World War II. And he had wrote, he had wrote some letters criticizing the leadership above him. And in his private letters, they were discovered, uh, and he was sent to the gulag. He was sent to some hard labor camps. In the middle of, of the gulag, he started writing things down on scraps of paper, and then when he memorized them, he would destroy them because he didn't want anyone finding this. After 10 years in these hard labor concentration camps, he got out and he wrote a story about it. And it became wildly, widely known all over the world. He won a Nobel Prize the same year he was on Time Magazine. He became such a problem for Russian leadership that they exiled him from the country. He came to live in America for about 30 years. He didn't like it much here either. He was happy to be out of the, the, the labor camps. Uh, but he had a lot of criticisms about this place. But he wrote beautiful uh, books about Russia, and he wrote um, heartbreaking books about his time in these camps. And in chapter 4 of uh, his book called The Gulag Archipelago, he says this, If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and to destroy them, But the line dividing good and evil cuts to the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? I love that line. I think it makes a lot of sense theologically what we're talking about. All that brokenness we see out there is in here too. And under the right conditions, we can end up as bad as anybody. In fact, one of the things about Christianity that I love is that when we see People making bad decisions, we're not supposed to judge them or condemn them. In fact, we're supposed to head into a place of confession of going, that could be me. In fact, that is me. In some of the deepest recesses of the darkest place of my heart, I could be that in an instant. And I think that's what the story of Noah is trying to convey to us, that humanity has this thing in them. And even Noah, the most blameless and righteous human being on the earth at the time, plunges all of humanity back into the depths. These stories allow us to name the ugly, broken stuff in us and the ugly, broken stuff in the world around us. Those inequalities that we see in Genesis 3 where humans desire to dominate each other, we see it again in Noah where he curses his children to be slaves of one another and, and whatever, he, whatever the results of that are. We can name that in the world around us. We can name that in us. That's what these stories, they give us permission 
to not hide it or push it away, but to invite Jesus into it for healing and redemption. Because all that is in us. It's in all of us. But we aren't followers of Adam or Cain or Noah or Shem or Ham. There's another one, right? Japheth or Seth. No one's a follower of Abel. That guy's long gone. We are followers of Jesus who redeems us from Adam and Noah's curse. We have that in us and we need a savior. And that's the good news of Christianity is that there is a savior who was perfectly obedient, who did not plunge humanity into a curse, but took the curse upon himself so that he could redeem us from it. But we still live in a world that lives under those curses. We see it everywhere, always, and all around us. They still live out these inequalities, these injustices, the unfair ways of life. What do we do? And what does Jesus want us to do with this passage? Last point, if you have any questions, send them. The bad news that Noah was supposed to fix was that we, uh, we were cursed, and he was supposed to give us rest and relief from the pain in our hands. And Jesus does that. And so what I think we're invited to do in the long term of this biblical story is that we're supposed to live the rest of Jesus and lead others to that rest too. Jesus says, I think I read this a couple weeks ago, come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke, my teaching, and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your souls or yourselves in this passage. Jesus offers that rest that Noah failed to provide. Hebrews goes on to tell us, Hebrews 3 and 4 is all about this rest that Jesus provided. It says, therefore, let's make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the same example of disobedience. We are encouraged, we are commanded, we are offered this gift of rest from the curse, from the brokenness, the evil, the darkness. Jesus wants to heal us and he wants us to uh, invite others into that. So I'd love for you to live out this rest, this relief. I'd love for that to be a mark of your life. And this rest isn't just a lack of work, though I don't want you to work too hard. Pastor's orders, take it easy. But the, uh, this kind of rest is about unhurried, unworried, non-anxious way of living that comes from healing and confidence in Jesus Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a whole life kind of rest where we aren't anxious we aren't worried. We have experienced the healing and we are confident in who Jesus is and what he's done in us. And the best thing you can do for a world under that curse is to show them what healing from the curse looks like. That's what I would love. I'm not asking you to go out and sit down with somebody and be like, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd be going? Like, I'm not asking you to do that kind of evangelism or like, Knocking on doors and being like, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? I'm not asking you to do that. If you want to do that, that's great. But I think such a, a more compelling way of inviting people to Jesus is living a beautiful life, a good, beautiful, holy life, free from the curse, entered into the rest that Jesus offers us. So live that rest and peace and healing that Jesus has for us. Questions, comments, conclusions. What do you got from me? Great question. I did get one. Send them if you got them. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. Great question. Somebody said, who do Cain and Seth procreate with? I love that you use the word procreate. I appreciate that. <laughs> we are. We're scientific here. It's just like, 
here's Adam and here's Eve, and they have three sons. And then where are these women coming from, the Cain and Seth? Excellent question, right? And the Bible has no answer for us. But that's my question, too, of like, wait a second, right? Like, where are the Cain gets pushed out of the garden, and he's like, anyone who finds me is going to kill me. And you're like, who? <laughs> Who's going to find you and kill you? It's you three. You just killed the only other peer your age. Uh, and I think that is probably a, a too logical way of reading the, the text. The, the author has no interest in answering that question and assumes that there's just other people. And we could come up with a whole theology that says maybe Adam and Eve were the first created, but not the only created, or, or you know, whatever. Uh, but uh, it's just not there. And so we have to ask and answer the questions that are in the text. And so the text is just not interested, but totally assumes that there's a bunch of other people around. Whoever wrote Noah's story cleared that right up, right? They're like, Noah and his sons and their wives. Like, there's a, now there's just wives in the boat too, and it'll take care of itself. Um, but great question. I do not have a very good answer for you, unfortunately. I think the author wouldn't read it as... Um, as logical as we would. That's it. Well, here's my conclusion. Just finishing up with some thoughts about rest and then we'll move into a time of communion. There is a way in which we can rest that is escape. And that has been my primary way of resting my whole life. Escape is just clocking out, not being present, trying to shut off my brain. And I'm not saying that's always bad. But I'm saying if you always do that kind of rest, it's not a healthy rest. The rest that we are invited into through Scripture is recreational, is recreational. It recreates. It helps us to tap into that creative force of who God is. And so I would encourage you, as you think about your resting practices, of if you're a person that likes to escape or if you're a person who can find something to do that is recreating, Anytime we can slow down, our, our society is way too fast. Anytime you can slow down is, is good. A hurry is one of the things that will kill your soul the fastest. But as you think more and more about rest, I would encourage you to lean into this recreational. Here's your spiritual practice, and then would you pray with me? Uh, make a moment of rest holy this week. Instead of escaping, pray, right? Instead of binge-watching Friday Night Lights again, Go for a walk or something, you know, turning on the office for the thousandth time, you know, play a board game with somebody. Uh, find a way to make it recreational instead of escape. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this story. And the millions of takeaways we can have from it. I mean, it's four or five chapters. There's so many things that you can speak to us about. We just pulled out a few. But we do pray and ask for your help that we could enter into the rest that you've provided for us. The one that Adam failed to give us, the one that Cain failed to give us, the one that Noah failed to give us. Would you help us to name the darkness deep within us? And would you help us to be prophets to the culture around us, that we could name the inequalities and brokenness in our culture not to condemn or to judge, but so that we can be confession and repentance and healing. And we pray all of that starts right here.
at this table that you've invited us to. In the bread and in the cup, you promise to meet us. And Lord, it is only by your help, it is only by your saving death on the cross and your resurrection to new life that we can experience any of that. So Father, in all of our brokenness, in all of our sinfulness, in all of that evil that is present within our own hearts, we know that you do not give up on us and that you are for us. And so we pray that that would be experienced here, that you would meet us, that you would heal us. And Table Church, would you pray with me the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is.